as you know, sickness has been going around, and this this is a weird sickness that some people are sick for a few hours or a few days and are completely better, and others take a little bit longer to recover. So, uh, yeah, be keep that in mind and be praying for those that are still recovering from uh, from being sick. Um, so, previously in Mark, we looked at Mark one twenty one through twenty eight, how Jesus taught with authority and how he had power over demons. John delivered a good message on the study of demons, and as we see Jesus confront the demonic in the rest of the book of Mark, let us always remember that the focus was never on the demonic, but on the authority of Jesus, and his authority and dominion over the demonic. This week we will look at Mark 1, 29-39, and focus on Jesus' power over sickness, his dependence on the Father through prayer, and how he stayed focused on the mission he was sent to do. Alright, so you can turn your Bible to Mark 1, starting in verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So, as Mark has introduced us to Jesus in the previous verses, uh, we see Jesus coming onto the scene declaring a message that the kingdom of God has come, and that the proper response to this good news is to turn away from doing wrong and to believe in the message of the good news. We see him call a few specific people to follow him, and in one city, Capernaum, we, we see a specific instance of his authority over demons and his authority in teaching. Now we see his authority over sickness in a specific instance with Simon's mother-in-law. A side note here, Simon, who Jesus later gives the name Peter in Mark 3.16, was married. In 1 Timothy 4, 1-3, Paul mentions that in later days men will teach destructive heresies, including abstinence from marriage. And I also find it very interesting that one of the largest heresies today to, it teaches that Hetchup is descended from Peter, yet they deny marriage and all their priests. So, end of the side note. <laughs> uh, Peter's mother was very ill. In fact, Luke's account in Luke 4, 38-44, Luke, who is a doctor, places an emphasis that this was a high fever. It wasn't just some mild sickness. She was really suffering in bed. 
But Jesus took her by the hand, and she immediately became well. Now, we all have been sick at some point. I know for myself, when I have a fever, it takes at least a day, sometimes quite a bit longer to get back on my feet than to do normal things. Yet Jesus shows his power over sickness and healing Peter's mother-in-law instantly, where she was feeling well enough to be waiting on them and to carry out the normal duties of the household without any rest. Now, a point can be made that Jesus is interested in our personal concerns and wants to bring healing into our lives, which is true to an extent. But that is not the point of the passage. The point Mark is making is that Jesus is the Son of God, and as such, he has power over specific demons and specific illnesses in specific places. Then Mark zooms out and makes the point that Jesus has power over demons and sickness in a general sense as well. After healing Peter's mother-in-law, when the sun had set, meaning that the Sabbath was over because he was teaching on the Sabbath day, so after the sun had set, the people were now permitted, according to the law of Moses, to bring the sick out to be healed. The entire city brought many ill and demonized people to Jesus while they were at Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Jesus performed many healings and cast many demons out. And in Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 8.16, we learn that it was not a process. Jesus said a word, just one word, and the demons left. All these healings and signs point to who Jesus is and why he came, which we will look at later. Despite a very fruitful ministry and a very late night, Jesus rose early in the morning to pray. He went to a secluded place away from everyone else where he would not be disturbed. This was a common theme in Jesus' life and ministry. In Luke 5.16, it says that he would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Many instances of important events in Jesus' life were marked by prayer. Before he chose the twelve disciples, he spent the entire night in prayer. That's in Luke 6.12. After feeding the 5,000, he went to the mountain to pray, and after sending the disciples across the lake. That's in Mark 6.46. He prayed for his disciples in John 17, and also prayed for all who would believe because of the message, and that includes us here today. In Mark 14.36, as he was facing the cross, he prayed for God to change his circumstances and to change his assignment, yet he asked that God's will be done over his own desires. In John 12, 49-50, Jesus says, For I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is, is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus was very dependent upon God throughout all, all of his life, and it was very evident through this throughout the Gospels. Jesus spent time with the Father, and thanked him and praised him and asked him of th- asked him for things. He was entirely dependent on the Father as he lived on earth and was always seeking the Father to do the Father's will. In Matthew 6, 5-15, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And we'll read that now. It says, When you pray... 
You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they will have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use a meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray, then, in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We are not to pray to be noticed by others, or to pray with motives of hoping others will notice how godly our prayers are, or uh, our length of the content of our prayers. When we do so, we get all the reward right then. And it cultivates pride in our life, which will destroy us. Jesus, Jesus instead encourages us to pray in secret and in places where we aren't noticed. And that God will reward the prayer that's done in secret. When we, are, when we pray, we are not to repeat things again and again and again or to pray loudly or get the attention of God. He already knows what we need. He knows before we even ask. And, he, and as it says in Hebrews 10, 19-22, that we can approach the throne of God with confidence and assurance because of the blood of Jesus. This isn't to say that prayer cannot be emotional or that we can't be loud in prayer. God has given us the emotions. He has given us our hearts. And that they should move us to pray. And we can be animated in our prayers. And it, it's wonderful to be expressive in those times. Yet we don't need to conjure up emotions or false emotions or strive to get into some emotional state in order, to, uh, in order for our prayers to be heard. Jesus then t- teaches us to pray in adoration of who God is. Confession of what we have done and supplication or asking God to meet our needs. A simple acronym to remember this is ACTS. A is for adoration, which is adoring God. It means declaring His attributes, who He is, what He has done, and what He will do. C is for confession, which is admitting to God where we have fallen short of perfectly keeping His law, both in action and in thought. T is for thanksgiving, which is different than adoration, in that adoration is declaring who God is and what He has done, Thanksgiving declares our gratitude to God for these things. And then S is for supplication, which simply means asking God to move in our lives and in the lives of others. One other thing that Jesus mentions about praying is that if we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. Please, please don't let bitterness and unforgiveness into your lives. 
Always choose forgiveness, even if it's a hundredth time over again. God sees it, and He will reward you. Not only does it does unforgiveness make you miserable, it hinders your prayers, and we cannot afford this. If Jesus was so dependent upon the Father in prayer, and He Himself was God, how much more are we to be dependent upon the Father, and how much more desperate should we be in prayer? Right, Van can come up. So, as Jesus was alone in prayer, Peter and his companions searched for him. The word searched here is actually an intrusive and unwanted pursuit. And the response to finding Jesus explains why it was intrusive and unwanted. Peter tells Jesus that everyone is looking for you. After so many miracles and such a fruitful night of ministry, there were many who wanted to use Jesus for their own personal benefit. Peter was no different, yet Peter had chosen to follow Jesus. Jesus responds to Peter very gently this time. But the next time Peter let interest of men dictate what he said to Jesus in Mark 9.33, Jesus rebuked him very harshly and told Peter that he was not setting his interests on God's, but on man's. The people had seen something amazing, and they wanted more. But that's not why Jesus came. He told Peter and his companions that they must go to other cities as well and preach this message of repentance in the kingdom of God. Just as the focus went from specific deliverance and specific healing to more general deliverance and healings, so Jesus went from one city to all the cities in the area. And we know from Matthew 28, this goes into all the world. It wasn't about one place. Jesus came to save the whole world. And he would not stop with one city just because people were amazed at what he could do. Jesus had a laser focus on why he came. He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. To seek and to save the lost. His miracles attested to his mission. And affirmed his deity and authority. But they were never intended to be the focus. In fact, in John 6, 26-27, after feeding the 5,000, he seems to try to do everything he can to push the crowds away. He uh, tells them that they are following him not because he speaks truth, but because they were benefiting from the miracles. After a long discourse between Jesus and the people, which took place in Caper- Capernaum, of all places, the same place that this passage is in Mark, Because of the things that Jesus said, many of his disciples left him. Yet the twelve chose to remain because the things that Jesus said were true. He had the words of eternal life. What Jesus subtly rebukes in Mark 138, he greatly rebukes in John 6, which is seeking Jesus for what he can do for us, rather than because of who he is and that he speaks truth. In fact, when it says that Jesus went into the synagogues, he went to those who were already seeking the truth. He didn't go out into the bars and into the public places. He went to those who were actually seeking the truth in the beginning. Beware of Christian groups who talk of the personal benefit of Jesus gives all the time, or focus on the miracles and healing rather than on the truth of the gospel and on the scriptures. It is true that there is great personal benefit from following Jesus. Don't ever forget that. There is great benefit from it. 
And it's equally true that the Holy Spirit can perform miracles and healings today. Yet the focus should always be on Jesus and on the scriptures and on the finished work of the cross. It's not the benefit that we receive from Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about His authority over the world, which includes His authority over our life. It's about dependence on Him because only He can save. Now as we close in a time of worship and response, let us pray for one another. If you're needing prayer, please reach out to someone nearby and ask them to pray for you. And as our motives are corrected and realigned with the truth and with why Jesus came, let us believe for healing for one another. Let us not lose faith that Jesus is God of healing and of breakthrough and miracles because he is. So, yeah, let us pray and let us respond to God this morning.